Hello and welcome. I'm Herman Stewart and you are listening to Finding Your Path, the podcast where you will hear from our guests on how they found their paths in life, family and their careers. Today, we'll be spending time with Ari Spider, who is Head of School of Social Sciences and Professor of Communities and Public Policy at Birmingham City University. During this talk, Harris had so much to share about his career journey, upbringing, and challenges he has had to overcome. This is good, so let's dive in. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I welcome you to another episode of Finding Your Path, the podcast where I speak to leaders, achievers, and celebrities about how they found their paths in life and their careers and and relationships and and so forth. And I've got someone um, that I'm really looking forward to speaking to today. Um, To introduce you to him, he's a passionate advocate for equality and community, a creative thinker, a proponent of fearless leadership, and a professor of communities and policy, and the head of social sciences at Birmingham City University. I am introducing today to you, Harris Bider. Harris, how are you today? I'm very well, Herman. Really looking forward to this discussion. Oh, I'm really looking forward to speaking to you and and just getting to understand much more around who you are, why you are, and and what you do. So um, I I always speak to people and ask them, um, what do they see themselves to be? Because a lot of times people have opinions about people and their views about people but when we think about Harris I mean what do you think about Harris? <laughs> I suppose now uh, as, a, as a leader uh, in the organisation as I am and, and reflecting back into my I'm, I'm very happy with the person that I am and have become uh, as because uh, I like to think of myself as being a creative thinker and being entrepreneurial. And I think I've always had those traits. Mm-hmm. But now I think I, I am a fearless leader, not in the reckless sense, but in the sense that I amass the information to make the decisions which are required on a daily basis, sometimes on an hourly basis. And some of those decisions are tough. Some of those are more straightforward. But because I've amassed the information and thought things through, then I can implement those decisions. And that's being fearless. Mm. And also understanding that you're accountable for your actions. So the book does stop with you Mm. as a leader. And I'm comfortable with that. Um, And sometimes decisions are right. Sometimes the decisions are not right. Uh, and that's a matter of life and work. You make the right call sometimes and you make the wrong call sometimes. Uh, but the most important thing is to learn uh, from those decisions uh, and those fearless decisions going forward. Okay. There's a few things that I want to pick up on um, from what you've just shared. And at the start, you said that you're happy with who you are. Has it always been that way? And if, if, if it hasn't, what's the journey been like to get to that place that you can say, I am happy with who I am? Uh, 
it's it's it, it, no, I've not always been happy with the way I am. Uh, I've been very dissatisfied at various times in my life, um, the, in in my career. I think the journey's been difficult. Uh, navigating those difficulties has been challenging. But getting to a stage where you are uh, happy in, in terms of who you are, and what you represent, mm. has been difficult. So, yeah, being the second generation son of Pakistani migrants coming to Birmingham, uh, going to schools where you felt uh, as an outsider entering into organizations where you want a very few uh, managers who uh, and leaders who appear for color. You always feel on the outside looking in. And that puts, if you feel like an outsider, you can't connect with either the organization or people, or you feel that you've been prejudged because how you look, the way you speak, how you dress, or how you behave can make it very, very challenging. So you, you question yourself and you have all sorts of insecurities. Um, but eventually, and I always say this to uh, colleagues and friends, crises and challenges and problems create pathways and opportunities to for amazing growth in a person. So... Those challenges and being an outsider and having difficulties, it is part and parcel of who you are mm. now. And so I've used those challenges for growth and development and creativity and got to a stage now where you're continually learning, you're developing, and you're open to that. But as mm. I said at the start, you have fearless decision-making and you amass the information to take those decisions. You lead by example. You'd be the best that you can be, uh, and you demonstrate those traits that inspire people around you. Uh, mm. And part of that inspiration, I think, is recognizing that you don't get things right all the time. Mm. Uh, so permission to not get things right or to fail, as some people say, that's okay as well. You're not going to get everything right. You're going to you're going to screw up. You're going to get things wrong. Um, but the most important thing is you learn from it, uh, and mm-hmm. you've got a path that people have clarity can follow uh, you on. That's the most important thing for me. Yeah. I think it's a great a great place that you've just um, stuck because I think it's you've just shared about you know you get things right, you get things wrong and I know a lot of times in the academic world um ticks are celebrated more than than crosses and (laughs) and and getting it right is much more um, revered than getting it wrong um and knowing that you have achieved I mean you have gone through the echelons the levels you know as, as as a professor um within within your your area so you have been really embedded in academia but at the same time one of your 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 values or one of the things that you said you're really proud of is being creative and entrepreneurial um Mm -hmm. how have you maintained that part of your identity and being in a realm where things can be more rigid and prescriptive 
I think that's a I think that's a really smart question because I, 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 one of my criticisms of academic life is that it is very narrow and, as you said, very rigid, and therefore the space for creative thinking uh, becomes constricted. And also the way that in academic life, qualifications, hierarchies are sometimes celebrated. So you know, you're at the pinnacle of it, you get to being a professor, but you start off on, as a research assistant, as an assistant lecturer or a PhD student. And uh, everything is judged on ticks and qualifications and production knowledge. So the best thing that i ever done is not being a career academic. So I've only been doing this for, well, it's the second half of my two careers, really. So the, the, the entrepreneurial creativity came from working with communities within the third sector of national advocacy organizations mm-hmm. that weren't particularly well funded. So you had to think about ideas to secure the investment, to pay people's jobs, and you had to think about how you can get investment in to support communities uh, or make a case that was really unpopular on the issues of say race and racism or exclusion to people who didn't want to hear that and persuade and challenge them to do more so those entrepreneurial skills making things thinking of the idea putting together into a proposal securing the investment mobilizing support from people and investors to back your idea are, have been really, really important for me uh, in my academic career. And makes me different, I think, to uh, the conventional view of an academic working in a university. So what I did pre my life, and also, as I said, being an outsider looking in, mm-hmm. are strengths, really, uh, that I've used and deployed to get to where I have got in, in my career. So being different, being creative, uh, be sometimes having the conviction to being in a minority of one is good. Uh, it's good in academic life because you, you want to stand out from the rest. You want to do something that's creative um, and, and challenging. Uh, but recognise that you need support and mobilise support on it. So all of that stuff I did in my early career, uh, working with diverse communities, diverse people, different stakeholders, has all has been a really solid training ground for me uh, in my academic life. Okay. Um, I, I was just thinking about what you were saying because there's a few things that you've said Um which is really encouraging and insightful because I never knew that, you know, like a game of two halves, you had um, a previous career um, that in in contrast is very different than the career that you're in at present. Yeah. And um, when you says that, that was a good footing for you, Um, because it was so eclectic, so diverse. Mm. At the same time, I was just reflecting on the fact that you are a professor, you're you're the head of social sciences, and I'm wondering, is it really as eclectic in your environment and at your status as it was previously to where you've come from? 
think it was far more eclectic than where I've come from, and not only in terms of my career, but the, where I grew up. You know, I grew up in in the city of Birmingham. I was a second-generation son of Pakistani migrants. Um, I went to school in a very ethnically diverse community. I went to secondary school in, as, in a largely monocultural white working-class community, one of three students of colour in my year, uh, coming across visceral racism, uh, being part of the anti-racist movement in the late 70s and uh, 80s as, as a kid. And so all of those experiences, growing up in this amazing city of Birmingham, being part of that process, is bound to have an impact on you in terms of your ideas, in terms of your thinking, in terms of building alliances, in terms of your creativity. Um, You absorb all those thinking and ideas. And you, if you're an outsider, uh, if you're an outsider, it gives, for me, it gives me fuel energy to be an advocate for change, an agent of change. Mm. And so that agent of change means sometimes you you have a restless energy, sometimes you have a very eclectic energy. Mm. Um, And what I've learned from that is at BCU in Social Sciences, which is a big organisation, 127 members of staff, 2,500 students, uh, five interdisciplinary research centres, 80 million pound turnover. Yeah, so you're part of the senior leadership of a big university. Mm. Bringing those ideas, that eclectic ideas to the table, I do have autonomy to do that. But I recognise now, as we discussed earlier on, there's a difference between being reckless and there's the difference between being fearless. And uh, so I still have that energy and fuel um, within me, but I certainly don't want to be reckless at I want to change things, and I need to recognise the environment that I'm in now. Mm. It doesn't have rules, doesn't have procedures, doesn't have processes. I need. I have a responsibility to over 100 people in my organisation to do things right uh, in their eye. Um, so it is different. But that creating creativity and entrepreneurism energy that I had when I was yeah, a kid, it just looks different. Uh, because the environment is different. But uh, I think just regard myself as an outsider looking in, and there's always something to demonstrate and uh, to get on the table. But I see that as an asset. I don't see it as a weakness. You know? um, mm. Just as I see diversity as an asset, not as a weakness. And my background has been really fundamental to any success I've been throughout my life. Mm. And, and 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 given given the environment that we're in at, at present, you know, there's um, the pandemic that's been going on, and that's just now we've we've got to behave, and now we've got to live. Um, mm. But also um, the social change around uh, the heightened um, awareness of discrimination and systemic. Um, systems that have not been as inclusive as as they ought um, and you speak about fearless leadership I'm wondering um, in your role of leadership and autonomy and having a really lived experience of being 
um, different and, you know, stand on the outside looking in. Now that you're on the inside, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, what, what kind of um, convictions have you had recently around your, your responsibility to be a proponent of change and encouraging equality? I, I absolutely agree with you, is that we've been confronted uh, as individuals, as families, as uh, cities, as nations, as a globe, with unprecedented circumstances. So you've had this um, almost unprecedented pandemic that we've experienced and uh, impacted on all of our lives across the world. Uh, and that has led to second economic pandemic, uh, which has been transmitted to all parts of the world, also. Mm. And, and then you've had this eruption of protest and rebellion around Black Lives Matters. Mm. Um, that taken together, there's a risk that individuals and countries and cities just topple over because they can't deal with it at the same time. Mm. And they topple over because either institutions and organizations take, make the wrong decisions because they panic and they are around the issues of race and racism. They overcorrect or make tokenistic appointments at university exec teams where they pick a random person of color and say, we're going to put someone in there. Um, without understanding that if you want change, you need to have structural change. So yeah. you need to engage the university for example, you, like BC, you need to engage with students who come from majority and minority backgrounds and working class backgrounds and say, what is your lived experience working here? Mm-hmm. Uh, so engage with people inside the university and also engage with the real world, as I call it, outside the university to mm-hmm. find out what the needs are, what you can deliver as a university, what you can't deliver as a university, mm-hmm. uh, and, to be, and to be honest in your contract with people. Um, and so I think there's risks attached to what we have going forward because mm. people start panicking and making the wrong decisions rather than the decisions that are sustainable and successful. So as an outsider, uh, on the inside looking out, I want my organisation to make the decisions that are right in terms of representation of diversity within the organisation. So students should see people that look and feel like them in front of them. They mm. should be accessing a content with curricula that speaks to their lived experiences. Mm. They should have a positive experience in terms of being challenged and opening up discussions around these issues rather than closing them down mm. and for everyone to feel that they can participate and challenge without falling out with each other on it. And I want leaders in universities and in organisations around issues of racism and exclusion Mm -hmm. to do what you absolutely is right on this. Don't make panicky decisions and decisions that you feel may be right. Make the right decisions. If you say that you want your organisation to be representative, appoint really great people who come from diverse backgrounds, onto your board, onto your executive teams. Mm. If you want to support initiatives out in the communities, 
fund those initiatives, recognizing that not all of them will be successful, okay? Mm. And that's a commission to, to fail. Mm. And so I, I think there's an opportunity for fundamental change, but it's about, in institutions, but it, it's about make, being smart, being fearless, and having sometimes the courage to say yes as well as no, mm. and, and being open and transparent about it. Because I think people will respect you for all that. Yeah? They may not like it, but they'll respect you for it. Mm. You just said something that was really interesting, and I, wanted, I want to go into it a bit more around um, sometimes people would make mistakes or they would just um, hire someone um, in a sense of tokenism or in a sense of that it needs to be done so it can be quite impulsive and mm. so forth. So from your experience or from just your perspective, what would be the fine line between a tokenistic appointment and someone that's like a fledge a fledging appointment. Do you know what I mean? Because ultimately, um, you've got to start somewhere, and you know the motivation of being able to appoint someone to be representative um, may need to be done. But then, how do you ensure that that appointment isn't tokenistic and is congruent? You know, the thing is, Herman, is that you and I know that when you're appointed in positions of power and responsibility and you don't look like the majority mm. people in your organisation, the, the, there's always a, a perception that you're somehow a tokenistic appointment that's been made. Yeah. Uh, and that's why you feel then you're, you, you want to demonstrate that you, you're not and you, you work really smart and hard and, and be successful. Mm. I think the diff, a tokenistic appointment is just... Uh, make an appointment of an individual that is not capable of doing the job and is unlikely to be ever capable of doing the job. Mm. Uh, uh, and we know that that's been in the case in the past um, after uh, significant changes, as it will be in the future. Uh, and those appointments are terrible. They, they take back the cause. They're usually appointments made by panic-stricken white liberal people who uh, are often on the panels of those uh, who make those decisions and who tick a box and say that we have got someone with a black and brown face mm. in, so we must be doing okay. Now, you're not doing okay because you just made a terrible appointment uh, on it with someone who's not capable of doing the job. A fledgling appointment, however, is, is recognising that as with every appointment, people will need effective support and supervision. They'll need guidance. They need mentors um, to get them to where they are through their journey. Mm-hmm. And it's recognising the in, investment in those fledgling appointments, actually, as you've said. There is an investment on that, but the return on your investment to see, to see that individual grow into a successful and effective leader and role model uh, that is regarded highly across an institution. Mm. It doesn't mean to say that if you're successful, if you're a person of colour, you, you, you forget about where you've come from. No, you recognise where you come from, your lived experiences, but you use that as the fire and motivation to get to where you want. And mm. 
that investment and support to those appointments is really, really important. So in my own organisation, I want, I said right from the start, I wanted to have diverse leadership in my organisation because I recognised there were people, um, women, people of colour, um, people from working class backgrounds who were, hadn't had the breaks and opportunities that they had. So I created those opportunities and encouraged those people to apply through a transparent process. And they've been appointed, but they've been supported. They've had investment um, on that. And that's sometimes what's missing. It's a tokenistic point is made. You take a box and you forget about that person. A fledgling appointment you make, understanding the person is not the finished article. And then you support, encourage, guide, mentor those individuals to see what's right and what's wrong. Uh, so then they can be part of the conveyor belt to support others and bring others along, along, along that path. And that's what I find is really, really rewarding. Mm. I feel that, that that's a really good place for us to segue into our, into, our, into our break. I feel the way that you articulated that was, was really well um, and I feel that it's important that we have these really uncomfortable conversations. Um, and that's why when I asked you, you know, because you referred to it a few times in the conversation around, you know, um, being on the outside and, you know, now you're on the inside and just what that difference is going to make. But then it's also around the integrity of being able to represent the cause in a way that's not tokenistic, in a way that's measured, and in a way that has got substantive evidence of credibility, you know. So the fact that um, when you're sharing around appointments and people being given the support, the, you know, the implicit support, the explicit supports, and sometimes even more so when they've not experienced the acclimatization through coming through a, a family or lifestyle that has been preparing them for success for many years, it, that they probably do need much more explicit support. So it's being able to be aware of that, that it's not just about making these appointments and providing opportunities for people to progress, but also knowing that there needs to be much more um, support that they may need to to make that that that's that transition into leadership or that transition into roles that they've not usually experienced. So I want to say thank you for that, and um, I want to say to everyone, it's been really good. It's been a different conversation, very interesting conversation. We, we're going to go to dive in on the other half, you know, more into. Harrison and, and the thinking behind the man behind the man. Thanks, <laughs> <Excellent. laughs> We just want to say, you know, go and have a break, go and get a copper, go and get a drink, you know, do what you need to do. But we'll be back on the other, other side um, speaking with, with Harrison, talking about how he's found his path. So thank you very much. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Finding Your Path. This episode is sponsored by The Mentors Mentor, providing executive support to leaders and partners in organizations who are committed to creating truly inclusive environments, improving employee well-being, and developing their emerging leaders. If you want to find out more about how The Mentors Mentor can support you or your organization, please contact Herman Stewart via LinkedIn or email herman at hermanstewart.com. Thank you. of Finding Your Path, the podcast where I speak to leaders, achievers, and celebrities around how they found their paths. And I'm today speaking to Aris Bider, and he is so interesting. And when I think about us meeting each other and sitting down and conversing, you was very different, you know. I know we was at the university, sat down in your office, which is very nice, you know, just reflecting and gazing on your journeys of life, teaching in America, um, being in a prestigious university and, and doing all these different kind of things and coming from the area that you've come from. So I, I knew you was very different, but I never knew that there was two halves of your career. So, so why have you made such a dramatic, I guess it's like a dramatic U-turn or a dramatic you know, crossroad and you've gone in a total different direction than where you started around the third sector and eclectic yeah. environment and diverse to be, you know, on a pursuit of becoming a professor. What happened, Harris? What? It, I'll be absolutely honest with you. Uh, is that, as you say, I spent a lot of my first, my first half in third sector community advocacy, all sorts of stuff, working locally, nationally, working with government, so on and so forth. And the fact of the matter is that I was working in London. Um, I was catching that 733 train from Birmingham New Street to London News, having long days, long, long weeks. And uh, I just, as with many things with me, I just had an, an epiphany saying, I can't do this for any longer. And it was to work that I'd been doing in, in the organization in London. And then, as it's always the case with me, an opportunity came up at Birmingham University to be the, um, a consultant on a new public service MBA program. And they asked me whether I was interested in having a 12-month consultancy contract there. And I said, absolutely, um, uh, I, I would do that. And they appointed me uh, at Birmingham University. And that consultancy then became... A lectureship, the lectureship then enabled my PhD, the PhD enabled me to write my first book. Um, after seven years, the opportunity to be in a professor at Coventry University at the Institute of Community Cohesion that came up. And it's actually one of my uh, fortress at Warwick University when I was an undergraduate who told me about it, the job. I wasn't looking. And he said, I think you should apply for this. And I, I was up against four career academics. Uh, and got the job, became a professor. Um, and again, I, I was at Coventry University for 12 years, 
and then there was an opportunity that came up to teach at Columbia University and New York City, the Ivy League University in the middle of Manhattan. And uh, through a contact, um, they said, we'd like to invite you to teach for six months on the School of International Public Affairs at Columbia. Would you like to do it? And I said, of course I'd like to do it. So I did that for two lots of six months in 2014-16. And then this job came up. uh, Again, someone saw it for me and said, I think you'd be good at this. So it's not been planned at all, even though it seems planned. It's just been opportunities, grasping those opportunities, uh, making the best that you can, and uh, going further. So it, it's it's it, it's been epiphanies in my life mm. uh, at various stages, and I take it as a sign that I need to do something <laughs> in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, almost like a spiritual way. And uh, it, nine times out of ten, it turns out very well and uh, very happy so that's my journey and you know how many of you and I are having this conversation when I was 21 or 18 and saying you're going to end up being having this career and being a professor and leading social sciences at a large university I would have been the first one that would have laughed because I would never have believed it but here we are you know and uh, here I am and uh, it demonstrates that anything is possible Anything is possible. Hard work, luck, having someone to mind your back uh, and, and working hard and being successful and staying humble as well. Uh, I think it's really important. And, and, and listening to what you just said about, you know, having people having your back and then just listening to your story and having different people at different points yeah. said, look at that or this could be for you or consider this. Absolutely. You know, that, that sounds like it's been a big part of those big junctures, you know, like I'm talking big turnarounds. You, listen, I mean, you are absolutely right on that. And you and I have spoken about this uh, before when, you, when we first met. And you have to have someone who believes in you because if you come from a background Ooh. such as I do, then you have very little people that believe in you because you haven't had the privileges of money or economic privilege or educational privilege of going to the best schools and people don't say you can do this so therefore finding someone like I had at Bourneville College of Favour Education all those years ago who Mm -hmm. instilled me a belief that I could end up at a really great university as an undergraduate Mm -hmm. and then having someone at Birmingham University that that said that taught me the skills to be the, a great academic mm. and then having someone at Columbia University who got me the job and enabled me to be there and then it was down to me to demonstrate repay her faith mm. um, and then at, frankly being at, uh, at Birmingham City University and having a job where I was up against many great candidates some of which were already in the institution and then yeah the pro vice chancellor saying i'm going to select you you need to you need to draw upon that yes you need to draw upon that to recognize it and also i think what that should instill to me as an individual is i've got to have the backs of lots of other people 
So I need to instill with them with confidence. I need to mentor and support them. Mm-hmm. Have some tough conversations sometimes. Yes. Because I want everyone in my organization to be to reach their potential and mm-hmm. to pick up good habits. Because mm-hmm. that's what I had at various points in my career. And I'm very fortunate, forever grateful for that, of those opportunities. Uh, and making the most of those opportunities. So it gives you a sense of belief in the human spirit and it gives you a sense of humility and also repaying that uh, when you're a leader Mm. is to get support other people and talent spot and encourage because you always see yourself in people who are in your organisation. Put them to one side to tell them make good habits, to tell them to, this is, I think you should do this in this way, uh, but it's up to you. Uh, mm. I think that is so critically important. Yes. And that's what I want to pass on, to be honest. And, and, and it's, I mean, just, just you sharing that, I can tell that that's a part of your fabric. Um, I can hear a lot of gratitude around the fortuitous, um, conversations you've had and the fact that you know those that have seen things that they've considered you so that means that you must have had um, a place in their mind or a place in their heart and that they believe that you would be a good person to go and do these different things I also want to highlight the, the role of family because I know that you are yeah. a champion for family you know very passionate about your children and, and, and your family and your household and everything Um but I, I wanted to get a bit more understanding because I know that you went to Colombia and you said that you'd done, first it was like six months and it was two lots of six months. Did yeah. you go with your family or did your family stay here? So my, so I left to go to Colombia until my kids were at university. So my wife and I went to Colombia for two lots of six months. Okay. Uh, and that was really important to me to provide that structure. The interesting thing about family, I always think, is... You take your, sometimes you, you, you take your family for granted because you always know they're going to be there. And you do stuff that disappoints your family mm-hmm. and your partner and your kids and whatever. Mm-hmm. And there comes a point in your life where you think, if it wasn't for my family and for my children, if everything disappeared, mm-hmm. you've got your family and your kids and, and, and your close friends. And... That is so fundamental to me now. It's not always been the case. Mm. You know, that sort of buccaneering, younger version of myself that wanted to get things done. And partly, I think, reflecting back, it was about fuel. It was about being an outsider. It's about energy. It's about proving some people wrong. What I've recognized in the last few years is, uh, and it's a, one of the most important realizations that I've had, is treat your family with respect and understanding that they are your family and your close friends. So your, uh, your, your, your centre of your being mm. is really, really important. You take, and that's a lesson I've learned uh, mm. very harshly, is that it's absolutely fundamental. Um, so, you know, we t- talk about in leadership about, yeah, respect good habits, working really hard. But actually, the same thing applies to your family. Respect good habits, you're working really hard. 
Um, and I think sometimes leaders in organizations get all that applause and adulation and everyone thinks that you're great. Sometimes it goes to your head. And, and uh, certainly it's gone to my head uh, on occasion. And um, that's been problematic. Um, the epiphany that I had recently is your family, they'll be with you in the trenches throughout. Uh, so therefore they are critical to your success. Just as your close friends are, because they've been with you throughout. They knew you a long time ago, before yeah. Columbia, you know, before Birmingham State University, before Birmingham University, before the, you know, the fact that you were working and advising government and doing this and going around the world and speaking at events. Mm-hmm. Just be, when you were a skinny little kid growing <laughs> up in, in Birmingham, they yeah. knew you then and recognizing, and recognizing your past and mm-hmm. the roots to you are are so so important and lots of people go through the lines without doing that and uh, sometimes you're forced to do it sometimes you, it comes to you but I'm very pleased uh, I'm incredibly proud of my children they're just incredible human beings uh, uh, really good advisors and uh, just great great people all four of them and all four of them are challenging. This, I've got four kids. Not one of them is passive. Uh, yes. they're, all, they're all challenging. But now they're older children uh, and adult children. They're great advisors. And, uh, they keep me very firmly rooted as to who I am and what I'm about. Mm. So I'm, I'm always be eternally grateful for that. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, what you just said was so so honest and so vulnerable and I think um yeah definitely it speaks to me um because definitely upon my journey I've not always had the family at the forefront of my focus you know sometimes Mm -hmm. it's the dream or the vision or you know like you said something earlier and I think you know could that be something that really impacts a lot of us that you know we feel that we're not good enough or we feel because we are um, not prevalent in a certain environment that then we have to try harder. We have to, you know, like overcorrect. We have to overcompensate. I think, I think all, of, all of those things, Herman. And yeah. I think also, I think there's many of us who, because we sometimes we think that we're not worthy mm. um, in different ways. We try and sabotage our success and oh. sabotage our, our lives. Yeah. And, uh, by doing things that are stupid, naive, reckless, uh, all of those sort of things. And the yeah. realization uh, is that when you, there comes a point in your life when you think, you know what, I deserve to be here. I am who I am. And this is who I am. I've made mistakes. I've learned from those mistakes. And this is who I am. And I'm this leader, I'm this human being. And when you're happy with you, eventually get to a stage when you're generally happy with yourself, mm. and you stop sabotaging yourself and uh, making those decisions, which you know are always going to be counterproductive. And you, you, you then you transcend into a different type of person, which mm. is fearless, which is like courageous, 
still entrepreneurial, creative, uh, um, at a much more mature level. And I think that's been one of the great discoveries mm. for me. And it's really helped me in sending this job uh, that I have. Uh, because without that realization, I don't think I, I would be as effective as hopefully I am in this job. Uh, so that's that's been a very positive thing. It, well, it sounds like you're a man of experience in this field, and I don't know if you're feeling mightily generous to give, to give us an example of where you feel that you did try to sabotage yourself. I mean, did you experience that? Did you become a self-saboteur? Did you have thoughts around that, you know, coming to this place of reflection, of understanding that maybe this could be a part of what's stopping me from progressing, or is it just a theory to you? No, no. I mean, I think there's, I think, I, I think there's like numerous things. Uh, I think right, you sort of reflect back on it. When you're, when you're living in the moment, you don't think about the, the consequences. Because mm. when you look back at your career, you know, people have said this in, in terms of my career, people think it's been a linear success upward trajectory and path. That's not been the way. There's been struggles and conflicts and challenges and steps back. However, if, you're, if you are in a situation where everyone thinks you're great, everyone thinks that you're dynamic, you're charismatic, this, that, and the other, uh, you start to have this level of invincibility about yourself. Um, and that is always, always, always problematic because yeah. life has a funny thing of bringing you down to earth. Um, the important thing is to learn from that. You know, what are the lessons that you've learned? Mm. Uh, what I've done throughout my life, my work career, is... Sometimes when things haven't worked out right, I get angry, I get upset, I point my fingers to the other organisation or the individuals and say it's all their fault. Mm. But after a while, you reflect and think, you know what, it's not all their fault. Sometimes you've got to be accountable for your actions. Yeah. Uh, and that's what, that's, that's what I realise now. <laughs> it's, uh, oh yeah, I left that organisation, I was pretty angry and upset about what happened. Yeah, actually looking back, I could have behaved in a different way. And uh, I think that's what I am now. It's, and not sabotaging myself now, but still being very fearless in my decision-making, in my leadership. Yes. Because actually, uh, when you reach the stage in, a, in leadership roles where you are fearless... Mm. Of course you're concerned about the consequences. Of course you're concerned about losing your job and losing your income and whatever. Mm. What you have, you operate from a position of integrity mm. and say, I will do this. And mm. it may be the right decision, it may be the wrong decision, but I will do this because I believe in it. And I don't mind being in a minority of one because my principles, have put me, my framework has put me in this way. And if it goes wrong, you can, you can live with that accountability. And I'm quite happy to do that. So if it all ended tomorrow, really, I'd be upset about it. But as long as I did my decision-making from position of authenticity and integrity uh, and honesty, then that would be fine for me. Wow. I mean, just listening to you share, I can definitely 
discern and identify that you've had a lot of um, self-reflection, a lot of self-awareness, and very reflective practitioner and very observant and perceptive as, as, as well. And, and this whole thing that keeps on coming back is around fearless leadership. You know, it, it sounds like it's so important to you and, and, and it just it leads me to this question around if you could do all again, what would you do more of or what would you do less of? Um, because I feel that this, where you start speaking around and touching base about being respected, um, that's so important. It, absolutely. You know, I, I spent a lot of my career wanting to be liked, okay? Uh, wanted to be liked. And that, I think, comes from being... Lots of things. It comes from being the youngest in the family. It comes from being second generation child of Pakistani migrants. It comes from being an outsider. So you're always trying to please people all mm. the time. So I spent a lot of my time being liked, wanting to be liked, being popular and stuff like that. What mm. I realized now that, that is, that's not the way. It's far better for me to be respected rather than liked. Although both of really good outcomes. I like to be liked, but I want to be respected more. Mm. And uh, so when I w go into my organisation, uh, and I've said this to my colleagues, is that, look, I'm not looking for you to be like 127 friends for me. Mm. Uh, you're my co-workers. You're not really my friends. Mm. Uh, uh, but I want to support you and I want to be empathetic and I want to be warm and generous. Mm. But you're not my friends. You're mm. my colleagues. And yeah. I want to be respected rather than, uh, if it's the choice of two, I'll be respected rather than liked. And that's, mm. but I want both. But be having respect, having the respect of your peers, uh, respect to your family, respect to your friends, it is really, really important to me. More important than it has been for uh, since throughout my career, so uh, I'm very pleased to be in that position. Yeah, and and understanding your journey up until now, um, I can see this thread of the values of family, the values of community, the values of um, your culture, mm. uh, being proud of who you are, understanding that. Um, may not have been in included um, in a societal way previously and still very cognizant of it in a sense of the reality of the environment, but not allowing it to make you think in a way that you're excluded, but using your diversity as a strength and, and, and so forth. And my, my thinking is you have come a far way, you know, <laughs> You've come a far, you've come a far way, and I can see that you know um, the journey has been rich. You know, it's been international, it's been national, it's been um, regional, it's been um, community based. You know, you've had a big experience to do with a lot of different things. But when you was younger. <laughs> What did you want to do? What did you want to be when you was, you know, trekking in Drew's Heath or you, know, <laughs> you was under 62 or the 61 or whatever it is, or the 47 or whatever it is? You know, when you was, you know, <laughs> the, the, head, the ends, you know, what, what, what did you want to become? 
<laughs> Listen, yeah, when I was when I when I was a kid, I used to get the fifty bus from uh, Mosley to Druidsley. The yeah. fifty was my bus <laughs> when, when 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 I was a kid. I knew what I didn't want. I didn't want to have a. I didn't want to be working in a factory. I didn't want to be working in, in an office or doing a mainstream job. There's nothing wrong with those jobs at all. But I knew that that wasn't for me. Mm. What I had when I was a kid is that I want, had a passion for social justice. Mm. And I was brought up in the world of the anti-racist movement in the late 70s and 80s and politics, so that's what I wanted to do. I, don't, I wanted to go into politics and community organisation as an, as an advocate for to, to do in a very small way to create a more just world. So that's what I've always wanted to do uh, as, as, as a kid. And uh, I was very fortunate in having the opportunity. I didn't, I didn't do particularly well in my uh, in my secondary school uh, at all. And uh, and I remember I said this word before about epiphanies. And I had an epiphany. And I was looking out on Bell's Lane in Treadseath when I was in the sex one there, thinking, I don't want this. Like I need to do something about it. So I, mm. I applied to Bournemouth College for my A-levels and came across this inspirational lecturer, mm. uh, David Gates, who's no longer, no longer with us. And uh, he taught me right and wrong and how to be a really good student. And from that, he gave me the confidence to apply to Warwick University. And, and mm. beyond that, yeah, you, you seize your opportunity, you seize or create opportunities and you're lucky to do what you want. So uh, I think that's what I've always wanted, to have this passion and desire around advocacy, social justice, anti-racism. Um, that has burned throughout, I think. Wow. I think there's so much to be said. Um, I've got around two more questions. We're coming to a close now. Um, I mean, if people wanted to find out more about you, you know, they wanted to find out about your work concerning your books, or they wanted to just discover some of what you're doing at present, where would be the best places for them to, to find out about you and your work? So just email me at Birmingham State University. And uh, as people do, get random emails from lots of different people. Can I, what do I think of this? I always respond to my emails. That's one good discipline I am, is uh, always respond to people. I always try and respond to people speedily as well. So if people are interested, if they want to share their ideas and also their experiences as well, Herman, you know, mm. he says we pick up, I pick up as much knowledge and experience and speaking to people and learning about them as they would do from me. So it's a two-way process. So just get in contact with me at BCU. Uh, I'm very fortunate having a great PA, Trish McLaughlin, and uh, she'll, sort, she'll sort it out for us. Mm. Okay, so so earlier, earlier in the interview, you spoke about if you was to have asked me at twenty one, I wouldn't have known what I wanted to do. I wouldn't even have thought I'd be a professor. I wouldn't have thought that I'd be teaching in Colombia. I wouldn't have thought all that kind of stuff. But if you had the opportunity to go back in the like the the DeLorean, Back to the Future car. <laughs> I love to have a DeLorean, honestly. <laughs> and 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 you 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 sat beside that crazy white haired guy, 
And, you know, you got back and you was able to see yourself under 50 boss in duty if you, and you could sit down by you as you are now. What would you say to you then? God, I'd have a good, strong talking to myself. Uh, I would say that, look, um, there's going to be challenges and crises uh, in your life, in anyone's life. You know, all of us mm. to address and overcome those. But those challenges and crises lead to new opportunities and pathways for yourself. Yes. When you're in the middle of a crisis or a challenge, you don't think of it like that because you're trying to survive. Mm-hmm. New opportunities and new pathways and growth could come from that. Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid of it and try and embrace it. I mm-hmm. think the importance of taking risks and working hard to ensure that you can meet your whatever goals that you have on that. And mm-hmm. as I said before, do not be afraid to be in a minority of one if you really believe in the course of action that you're taking. Too mm-hmm. often we follow others blindly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a diff- it's a difficult thing to be a lone voice, but don't be afraid of that. Mm. Recognize that friends and family are important to you. Mm. Uh, uh, they'll be there for you when everyone else has left. So mm. it's that's what I would say, and I would say to my twenty-one year old self, you know, my goodness, you, on some occasions you were a complete idiot then. Uh, but hopefully, <laughs> now I'm less of an idiot than I was. And, uh, and that's because I've, I've learned and I've had really positive experiences uh, and moved forward. So I'm, I'm very pleased about uh, a chance for me to improve, not just in terms, of, in terms of employment, but just as a human being. I think that's really a very, very valuable lesson for all of us. I want to say thank you, Harris, for being with us today. Um, I want to say thank you for bringing your whole self with us, you know, bringing you to the table, being open, being transparent, being vulnerable. You know, um, you have made a substantive contribution to the betterment of of people, you know, and being a, a powerful role model. You know, you, you you may not have really set out to be that, um, but a lot of us really need to see it being done. Um, and sometimes just seeing someone doing it is what encourages confidence or courage to take that risk. And I feel the fact that you've had such a, in a sense, a portfolio career, um, you've done so many different things, in different places, met different people. And you've had to learn a way with people to do well at the same time as always knowing at the core, it's about being respected more than being liked. Um, And I have a deep respect for you as a person, you know, and I see you as a pioneer. I see you as someone that is creating change and being that change. And I want to encourage you to continue doing that and um, just thank you for being with us thank you so much for this opportunity it's been a great great uh, discussion with you Uh, I'm going to continue doing what I believe in and continue being that 
a young child who's had a passion for change, for equality, for social justice, for advocacy uh, going forward, because now more than ever, we need to demonstrate that in terms of fearless leadership, in terms of challenging and change and create a better society. So uh, I'm with you on that, my brother, and uh, I'm looking forward to to that next period ahead. So thank you so much, Chairman. Appreciate it. I want to give you the last words. Um, what do you want to be remembered for? And I want to say thank you very much for your appreciation um, and acknowledgement. I want you now to tell me, to tell us, what do you want to be remembered for, Harry? By that. So, yeah, it's, I think at one level it's quite easy. Uh, fundamentally, a decent human being who impacted positively on lots of people's lives and leaves a legacy that people can continue uh, going forward. Uh, if I have that, if, if I've inspired people, if I've challenged people, uh, if my journey has enabled people to have some optimism and recognise that they can, they can overcome obstacles, uh, I'd be very, very happy for that. And... Uh, and and, um, and sharing that, so, you know, a decent human being that worked hard, that created opportunities and was fortunate to achieve in different levels. I'm very happy with that. Happy time. Thank you very much, Harris. Thank and I want to say thank you to all of our listeners for listening to the Finding Your Path podcast and for being with us today. Thank you for being along this journey and I look forward to you joining us next week um, as I have another guest who will be sharing their path and giving you an insight into how they achieved it. Take care. Goodbye.